Weird Realities Network presents Blondes, Books, and Campfire Tales, where we pull up a log, roast a marshmallow, and settle in as these two blondes talk spooky tales, urban legends, and classic horror icons. Exciting guests, perky blondes, and sinister tales makes this podcast as good as a double stack s'more. So let's join Bethany and Crystal as they gather around the campfire in Blondes, Books, and Campfire Tales. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Blondes, Books, and Campfire Tales. I am Bethany. We have got Crystal Mild right there, and we have got Zachary Stutzman. Zach, go ahead and introduce yourself. Talk a little bit about yourself. Hi, um, my name is Zach. I love to do art. I love to hang out with friends, and I am 17 years old. Yeah, there you go. And Zach is also a published author right now. So if you guys want to look into, um, what is it called? Uh, Manifesting becoming a master manifester yes i have the book i just don't have it in front of me so that's why i don't have the title <laughs> every time i look at the title of that book i mix the words around in my mind <laughs> so but we are blonde so that happens that's <laughs> true. true well welcome to blondes books and campfire tales we have a fun episode today we're going to talk about the infamous clown and i'm not talking about ronald mcdonald i am talking about pennywise the clown and stephen king's adaptation of it well actually it's stephen king's it and then the movie adaptation the <laughs> other movies and then the book and yes a lot of fun stuff all things it yes <laughs> <laughs> so welcome welcome and uh let's see so have you guys seen the original um uh, it yes yes okay perfect i have too uh zachary actually came over a little bit ago and we started to watch it and then we got bored, so then we watched Insidious. The, the old one <laughs> or the much. new one? The, the original one, but he has seen, you've seen the new one, right, Zach? Which new one? Well, there, there's the new one, part one and part two. Uh, no, actually, that was the very first time I ever saw any Insidious. Oh, I'm sorry, I meant it. <laughs> oh, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, actually there is. <laughs> the fifth one's gonna be coming out this year. <laughs> Zach's super um, into horror, I can tell. <laughs> master at this point. Well, like... poor Zachary, as you guys already know, Zachary is my nephew and uh he kind of got introduced into horror when he was not interested in horror and i was like let's watch walking dead and then that made him scared because he was very young so then i was like let's watch world war z <laughs> that made him scared. and that one was too scary let's watch exactly this. <laughs> and so then i got a phone call from my brother yelling at me for letting zachary watch these shows <laughs> I remember vividly staying awake until about 3 a.m. that morning as like an 11 year old. <laughs> so, very good memories. So, you scarred him for life. <laughs> I did. I did. I genuinely, I actually still genuinely have a fear of zombies ever since that. Like, anytime that we do anything zombie related at like Slaughterhouse with like the actors of zombies and everything, I just I can't handle it. Like, <laughs> I'm glad I left that lasting impression. So. <laughs> I regret nothing. <laughs> no regrets. <laughs> no regrets. You only live once. That's there true. you go. Unless you're a zombie, then you're If you can't scar your nieces and nephews, who are you going to scar? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, with it, uh, so we've seen all of or most of the first one. 
Um, we've seen the second one definitely. And I know Crystal and I have read the books and then Crystal found a documentary mm -hmm. uh, on prime that kind of talks about the original miniseries it. And that was actually an interesting documentary. I know I watched a little bit earlier today and then I had some technical difficulties, which is not normal or which is normal. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Zachary saw a little bit of it too. But one thing that I took away from the documentary that's on Amazon, and I think it's called um, Pennywise, the story of it. I don't yeah, know. That's what it was called. Yeah. It's like, it's currently, it's literally on my screen right now. Um, so it's actually, it's pretty cool. Uh, but one thing I didn't realize is that they had a camp for both the adult actors and the child actors called Camp Loser. And they wanted to have the adult and the child actors get together so that way they could kind of pick up mannerisms of each other and that the 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 a child actor of Bill, the, the stuttering Bill, had to put a mole on himself, Jonathan Brandis, because the, mm -hmm. the adult actor had the mole. <laughs> and yeah. so he felt bad because he was like this heartthrob child star. And he's like, yeah. And then he had to put a mole on his face so he could look like me. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they potentially could have left it out, I think, because moles, like, moles appear throughout your life because it's like skin damage. So, yeah. Like, I have moles now that I didn't have when I was 12. Yeah. But so. then again, I think they were trying to get the realism of you could under like, you could understand and actually see that these kids yeah. did grow up to become these adults. So that's why they wanted to pick up the mannerisms of it. Uh, yeah. Londa just joined. Uh, sorry, I'm late. My kids only want to talk to me when I have something else to do. That sounds like kids. <laughs> yeah. We totally get it. Understandable. So, yep. Welcome. <laughs> So Zach Landa is a really good follower and friend of ours. Uh, she's definitely on all of our episodes. I think she was actually on the Watching Weird episode that are Watching Weird that you were on with your book. So she definitely is a good follower and and, and a really good friend of ours. Oh, well. So we like we like Landa. Yeah, <laughs> always happy to see her. <laughs> yes, Landa and Mike. We got to figure out where Mike's at. <laughs> right. I know. He always Thank calls us out when we're not on. Past few weeks, I don't know what she's doing. Yep. Yeah. That's okay. We'll forgive her for now. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I don't know. What did, uh, what all did you guys get from the documentary right there? Did you guys get uh, anything? Well, I, like you said, the whole where they did, like they were test, like the mannerisms, you know, like the ear pool or the different things that they did to, so that the mannerisms were the same. So that even though these, kids obviously don't look exactly like the adults they had that that was kind of cool and then um i thought it was cool how they talked about um uh, with tim curry they wanted to do like this whole huge prosthetic thing and he was like i want to do as little prosthetics as possible mm -hmm. he's like i can make my face scary without all that yeah and it's like well yeah of course he can he's tim curry <laughs> <laughs> and i'm a full supporter in Finding out what type of person you are based off of which Tim Curry, you know, or a Tim Curry movie that you know. Like, what's your first memory of Tim Curry? <laughs> exactly. Because <laughs> there's so many. <laughs> I know. There's so many. I honestly don't know if I can say which one is I would, like, first remember him from. Mm -hmm. But probably it is one of the biggest ones for me. Yeah, it is good. Hey, Mike, how you doing? <laughs> Hi, Mike. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's definitely, 
I, I would say it um, is recognizable, but the main memories I have of him are mostly from like Legend with Tom Cruise uh, mm-hmm. when he was the big like devil with the with the horns and stuff. And then Clue is my other one. So I yes. would say Legend Clue. And then, of course, there's a Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. So, but it's probably like fourth down there on my list. But that's just because I wasn't allowed to watch horror movies as a kid. So, yeah. Um, I used to, in elementary school with a friend, um, we would reenact the scene with Georgie. The one with him and the... Um, where with, he gets into the sewer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh. so so we'd play like we'd be playing in the pool, and one of us would be Georgie chasing the boat, and then Pennywise would stop us, and we would literally reenact the whole scene and end it with like yanking the other one into the pool because oh we were gosh. weird in elementary school. And I did watch horror movies in elementary school and was totally fine <laughs> with it. I reenacted them. Other kids okay. were playing Barbies, I was playing it. <laughs> Londa says she knows him from Clue for sure, but also Home Alone. And then Mike, he says he has an autographed photo of Tim Curry as Pennywise. Oh. So that, I'd like to know how you knew about that because that is, or how you got that. That is cool. Yeah. <laughs> you are still weird. Oh, I am still weird, Londa. It just started early. <laughs> it started early. It started early for me. <laughs> I'm still weird. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Zach, have you, do you recognize Tim Curry? He's kind of a actor before your time right there, but do you recognize him from stuff or? Um, I think I recognize him a little bit, but not really from any like mainline movies. But like when I saw his face, I definitely seen it a lot before. Not from it, but from like a couple of other ones. Like I think when me and um, a group of friends of mine were younger, like we all watched Clue on like a sleepover. And like he kind of seemed a little bit like, like, just that vibe, I guess. But. Yeah, just uh, erratic and um, I don't know. I'd say like like creative, but also he he really gets into the role and kind of dives in and sees what he can to make the role come alive. I think mm-hmm. he yeah. definitely dives in wholeheartedly to like every role. Mm-hmm. So Mike says he's at a convention in Hot Springs, Arkansas, a few years ago. Back, I got to meet him in person there. That's so, so cool. cool. I'm like super jealous of you right now. <laughs> That's really cool. It's like top of the list of people to meet. <laughs> yeah. It'd be like Tim Curry. And then uh, I want to meet Tommy Lee Jones. I love Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> <laughs> like every movie he's in, I'm like, it's Tommy Lee Jones. Him and then Nick Cage. And then uh, Keeper S- Sutherland. I don't know. I could go on about the people and it's probably people that Zach's never heard of. <laughs> I have no clue who that Lee Jones person is. Tell me Lee Jones. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we for get sure. for having a young person on with us. <laughs> I know, I know. But it's cool because Zach brings a whole new perspective. <laughs> oh, agreed, agreed. <laughs> it's just like, I have no idea who you people, who these people I know. are that you're talking about. <laughs> that was a different time period. It was. <laughs> Well, what about it? Like, what do you guys think? Okay, so I know that. So, okay, Zach and I, when we were watching the original It, I remember watching it with him, and I was just like, "Man, this is not nearly as scary as I remember it being." Or mm-hmm. what the new, what the movies are now as being. But I remember when it first came out, 
it terrified so many people. And when you talk Mm -hmm. to people now, they're like, it, like Pennywise terrifies me. I can't do clowns. I can't do spiders. I can't do any of that stuff because it's just it. Like it really impacted people. Uh, What do you guys think maybe separated that from from shows at that time that really just kind of got under people's skin and kind of creates those memories that they have now of that? Um, I think that a lot, like especially when they were younger, it was a very like, I don't know, like it wasn't very popular or like it was still new to like the era I feel like especially horror and everything and I feel like um anything that was crazy and supernatural and like clearly wasn't real but felt real and like was immersive was like very terrifying to like a lot of people at that age maybe I mean I don't know because I wasn't from that age but like <laughs> no but still like, what do you think Crystal I feel like well, I do think, like, especially for, because it was on, you know, it was a miniseries on a major network, and I do think that it was a really big, like, it was a really big new idea to do something that horror-based as a miniseries. Like, what miniseries used to, I feel like they always would start on, like, Sunday and play, like, through throughout the week. So, like, a Sunday and a Tuesday or something like that. So it's just like your prime time watching with your te- with your family, but they're like, let's scare everybody in their living rooms. And mm-hmm. I don't think, you know, so it was like a really big task to do. And I mean, Tim Curry's portrayal of Pennywise is just, I mean, I still don't have an issue with clowns. They're whatever to me. Um, but definitely he personified that whole like chaos of what it is and so I definitely see how that can just like reach out into like through the TV into your living room and just have that effect on you. Yeah. I think um, I'll get to that in a second, but I do want to acknowledge Mike right here. He's got two really cool comments. Uh, I got Dick Van Dyke and the two kids I met in person in California years back from Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Just awesome. Uh, all three autographed the photo I had of them. And then he's like, my biggest and favorite autographed item I have is a cast signed Goonies poster signed by oh, all seven kids and the two Crook sisters or brothers. I'm like, oh gosh, that is awesome. <laughs> the clown in the new It movie sucked. Oh no. <laughs> I, I don't think so. I think it was just different. Like it was. And we we can we can go back on that in, in just a second. Um I mean, you're totally like that's totally your opinion, Mike, and it's it's valid for sure. Everybody's exactly, but. yeah. And people look for different stuff when they watch movies. You know, they they mm-hmm. go for different reasons. I think with the the it movie series that came out, I think what made it so unique is because one, it was for that time in television, they didn't show that stuff in television. Like horror stuff was not mainstream at that yeah. time. Yeah, so there were horror movies that were coming out in like the 70s, 80s, and 90s, but they weren't mainstream television. And then what I think is another aspect is the cast of the original It, they were they were taking like TV actors and actresses that you recognized because they wanted mainstream television. So they wanted actors and actresses that were big TV character, um, um, people who you recognize, not movie stars. So it's kind of like you saw all these people like John Ritter and, um, you know, all these other people. But I, I know the names, but they're blanking real quick. Harry Henderson. Yes. Which I know. Wasn't he Harry and the Hendersons? <laughs> he was 
He was the judge on Night Court. Oh, yeah, yeah, which he was on. Oh, oh, and, and then you had the guy from Mr. Boogity from, mm -hmm. from Disney. He was on there. But it was all these people who you saw on good family, like, happy television, and suddenly mm -hmm. they're in a horror movie, like, horror series. Yeah. And I think that's what scary people is. They are taking their wholesome, good content and throwing those actors and actresses in this, like, scary mini series that they just didn't know. They didn't know how to process that. So I think yeah. that's what made the unease feeling not like scared but just uneasy feeling yeah it's like this person usually is making me laugh and is super lighthearted, and now all this crazy stuff's happening to them yeah yeah so but in terms of like the new it clown i mean i think one that's a really hard role to fill mm -hmm. um i mean ghostface ghostface is kind of known for always being a, a new character freddie freddie's iconic like you can't you mm -hmm. can't change Freddy too much. Um, but, and, and then Jason, it's a person, and Jason and Michael, they're behind a mask. So it's hard to kind of really tell the actor who plays them too much. But Pennywise, like, it's such an iconic character, and Tim Curry did such a good job. I think it's really hard shoes to fill. But I, I think that their adaptation of the new movie, I think they did a good job mm -hmm. telling it in that storyline. I think it's like if you're trying to compare Bill Skarsgård to Tim Curry as mm -hmm. Pennywise, it's just completely different. And if you're going to compare one to the other, I think you're going to be like, well, he can't he can't live up to the role that Tim Curry did. But I don't think that Bill Skarsgård was trying to he to live up to it he was making Pennywise his own and even mm -hmm. though they're both still horror movies I do get like the vibes from both of them to me are completely different mm -hmm. oh, yeah. I definitely feel like Pennywise in the newest movies was like to me just way more creepier like I feel like the entire style that they went for and like even the way that they did is like face art and like makeup and stuff like that was very like just gave off a creepier vibe to even like look at through photos while the old one was more like the acting that I feel like really like sealed the creepiness into him. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Like if you just look at Tim Curry's Pennywise compared to Bill Skarsgård's Pennywise, just like visually, Tim Curry's looks it just like your normal everyday clown. And he played into that, you know, he, he played into just being ridiculous, but making the ridiculous clown antics, like a little bit creepy, but he still did the clown antics. And then when you see Bill Skarsgård, it's like the whole look is just evil. Like it doesn't look like this is your normal circus clown. It looks like this is this is the clown of your nightmares. And he never really went into the hijinks portion of being a clown. It was just always just that negative. I think what we also have to look at is Tim Curry, when they came out with the original It, that was the 90s. Like that was, that was a while ago, you know, like 30 years, years ago. Oh. Yeah, thirties though. I don't know where I got fifty. Wow, sorry. Um, <laughs> oh, don't be nuts. Jeez, the blonde is real. The blonde is real. I'm like, I watched it. Don't turn us into like I, super old. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, but it's like, I, I think with that one, if you look at even just the effects of that time, like Tim. Londa. I agree, Londa. That's what Sorry. I'm saying. That's what I'm I, saying. <laughs> I, had like a, I had like a moment, guys. Come on. 
I totally did. Um, so I think it's just kind of like if you look at it at the at the time that it came out in 1990, where it's like the the special effects, you know, they're nothing like they are now. So they could do so much more now. But at the same time, they could not be as horror aspect or or gory as they could now because made for TV had a lot more restrictions than uh-huh. the movie that you can do now. And even now, what, what was it like they had an eight hour script that they originally had that they had to cut down to four. And George Romero was actually originally going to do it when it was eight hours. Uh-huh. And then as soon as they cut it down to four, he was like, I'm gone because my vision's gone. Like I can't, I can't do what I want to do in only four hours. You just cut half of it away. Well, I mean, it's a thick book. It so- is. I mean, there's no way everything, even if they did do an eight-hour adaptation someday, there's still no way everything from the book is going to be put into a movie. Some stuff mm-hmm. you honestly just couldn't put into a movie. It would be illegal. Um, yeah. <laughs> and nobody wants to see that. <laughs> but um, there, There's got to be some people. I mean, there's but, people who will watch it, but whether you're going to get good reviews. Those people should be in jail. Um, um, but like, it's just, it, I mean, you're never, but even if you did, you know, eight hours and just cut out, like, you'd still have to cut out more than the stuff that you literally cannot show on film. Um, you would still, it's just, it's just too much. There's so much involved. Um, and that doesn't mean you can't do a good interpretation, but there's just no way to include everything from the book. Yeah. Well, and I feel like comparing both movies, like I actually learned this literally today, um, which was like the differences between terror and then like horror. And so terror was more about like the environment of being scared and like having the anticipation that you're about to like almost be like jump scared or like just creepy in general. And I feel like the old movie definitely had a lot of those aspects where it was like for those people back then, just watching it gave like terror. Well, I feel like the new one is way more in the horror aspect because this one is a lot about like the jump scares the instant reactions and like the like just very visual like physical appeal of it and not always the like almost like psychological behind the scenes like type of work and so I feel like when comparing both of them I feel like like the older one had more resonation with like terror while the new one has more with like horror in general I I think that sums it up really well definitely Mike goes I think George Romero would have rocked yeah he he would yeah Oh, 100%. I definitely think George Romero would have done awesome, but, and I understand if he's like, it's, it's just too, if he was like, it's too much of a restriction. Um, I can understand that, but I just think, I mean, I think that way about most like film adaptations of books, people get so upset that they're like, they left this out, they left this out. And it's just like to actually include everything from a book in a movie is almost impossible. Yeah. I mean, the Shawshank Redemption is based off of a short story, and I think that it's, what, two hours long, and they still didn't include absolutely everything, you know? Like, mm-hmm. it's just it's just one of those things. You There's never going to be absolutely everything from a book in a film adaptation. Well, it's impossible. With a book, you're able to get that immersive mm-hmm. into, like, people's thoughts and feelings and how what they're going through. Because the book will tell you what it is that they're going through. Whereas a movie, you have to visually 
portray a person's thoughts. Yeah. And you can't really do that. So I think that's why that's why they actually brought a lot of um, uh, oh, I forgot his name. I should have wrote everyone's names down, but I was trying to do our little intro video. Um, let's see. The the guy who brought everyone back to Derry. Mike. Mike. Thank you. Uh, so basically a lot of his stuff was made for the TV and wasn't so much in the books because in the TV miniseries and then later in the in the next set of movies, what they had to do was they had to he was like, okay, here's, we got this point and we have this point. How do we get to there? And so that's where they kind of really developed Mike's character in the shows was to kind of become that narrator, uh, so to speak, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely think so. They definitely developed that a little bit more for, mm -hmm. and I think that that did it well. Um, so but well, I think he's definitely like the bridge between like guiding the story along in a way that would like make sense to viewers visually and not always like like you had said telling it straight to their face like a book would. Mm -hmm. And I think I think one thing um and they were talking about in the documentary and they were talking about the spider at the end which as a kid that I was already scared of spiders so watching that part as a kid I couldn't do it. Um, but now I'm like, I think it was a really good special effects spider for the time. Mm -hmm. But now, like, compared to special effects now, it's like, I don't want to say cheesy, but it's just not the same. But they were, um, they were talking about how, oh, you know, we kind of wanted to put like Pennywise's face on it. And they did that in the new movie mm -hmm. uh, where they had Pennywise's head on a spider. And I'm like, I'm kind of glad that they didn't do that in the, in the made for TV version. Cause I just think, I do think they did really well with the special effects um, in that movie. But I just think that if they had put Pennywise's face on that spider with the special effects they had back in 1990, I think that that would have been cheesy. That I don't think that would have aged well. Exactly. Uh, you can do so much more now than what you could do back then. So back then you had to be a lot more creative in what you did. Yeah. So I think, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I think if they tried to do some of the stuff, because if you think about it, you're taking children's fears, yeah. which a lot of them can be kind of, as an adult, you're not, not comical because as a child it terrifies you, but as an adult, like there's stuff that the girls will tell me that they have nightmares about that I'm like, <laughs> really? You know, but <laughs> as a kid, you're terrified. <laughs> like you're absolutely terrified. I remember one time I had a Minnie Mouse poster. Okay. It was a Minnie Mouse and Daisy Duck and they were in an ice cream shop. I remember I, that poster. <laughs> yes. But like when you lay down in my bed and face that poster in certain lighting, it looked like a creepy face coming right back at you because the shadows and everything. It terrified me to the point that sometimes when I would go to bed, I would take that poster down and I would move it. Now, can you imagine as an adult, you like a, someone coming up to you going, my Minnie Mouse poster scares me at nighttime. You'd be like, what? You know, yeah. <laughs> so to try and do a, a kid's fears or children's fears and make it so that adults are afraid of it as well mm -hmm. and can feel that fear, that's really hard to do. And and I think that with the the mini series in the 90s, like you said, if they tried to do that, some of those things, 
it would have come across as too comical and would have taken away from the scary aspect of it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, I definitely agree. Um, the, I, cause, and speaking about that, like I just, there's one nightmare that I had as a kid that I still remember to this day. And I woke up screaming, literally woke up the entire house because I was screaming so loud. Mm -hmm. And I still distinctly remember exactly how the visuals of that were. And it was about a spider. I'm still terrified of spiders. But if I saw a spider that looked anything like that spider that I had in that dream, because I was like six, it was a very cartoonish spider. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's no way seeing that spider would scare me this like now because it's just too cartoonish. And, you know, and that's just like, but too, like, so my six-year-old mind made up that spider and it terrified the crap out of me. Mm-hmm. But as an adult, even, I'm just like, nip. <laughs> like, that was ridiculous. That whole, everything about that nightmare was ridiculous. Um, but even now, it doesn't have to be as a kid's terror. It could be like middle of the night when you're half asleep. Like, I woke up one time, you said spider, and I remember waking up like not even a year ago. And I thought I saw a spider coming down on, on his web like coming down next to my face and I screamed when I tell you I screamed I screamed and poor Axel like flew out of bed (laughs) this poor guy and he's like what 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 and I'm like there's a spider it's a spider coming down and I refused to sleep in the room that night like I 100% that situation I would have the same reaction right now um but But like day of you go and you look and I'm like my ceilings are way too tall for like a spider to come down that much and for me to wake up right then and to just see it without my glasses, which I'm blind, like your logic kicks in. But in the middle of the night, some of your terrors are way horrible. <laughs> like yeah, way more right. horrible. Do you guys feel like like scare, like I don't know, like fears and stuff like that can be like um like I don't know the word. Like say like you watch something that's horrifying multiple times, like like you can build up a resilience to like fear in general. I think so. That's that whole phrase, you know, face your fear type thing. But I think but I mean, like, like fears. supernatural fears, I feel like. Well, but I, I think what there's fears and there's phobias. And phobias are very, they're like deep seated, like deep rooted fears that are, are more difficult to overcome. Whereas like there's a fear that you just wake up from a nightmare and you kind of have some random thing. So, but I do think that eventually you can, with, with fear in general, you can kind of face some of those and build up a resilience towards it. Um, but there's also just those irrational fears you're going to have every now and then that until you see it in a new light, it's going to terrify you. I do think like if I watch, like there's been movies that I've watched that I was terrified the first few times I watched them, but then I watched them a few more times and it's just like, there's nothing scary about the movie. So like you can desensitize yourself and like become not scared of certain things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like if it's a phobia, like it's, it's not that easy to make it go away. Yeah. Mike says he could not sleep and let my arm hang over the side of the bed, probably in my twenties because of Friday the 13th and scene where Jason stabbed the arrow through the two campers on the camp bed. <laughs> Wasn't that Kevin Bacon's character? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Hadley. What's up, Hadley? Hi, Hadley. Welcome. <laughs> Lana goes, I still can't. <laughs> oh, she still can't. Sorry. Uh, I always had um, 
my thing was I would always like run and jump onto my bed because of Pet Cemetery and the mm-hmm. kid like cutting the guy's Achilles tendon. Yes. I can't do that because of House of Wax. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can walk past a bed now, but when I was a kid, oh my gosh, I always just ran and jumped on my bed. I was like, my feet yeah. can't be by the bottom of the bed. <laughs> yep. Mine was at my grandparents' old house, and you had uh, the stairwell down to the basement. And even though the basement scared me, what scared me more was in the stairwell, one of the stairs was like a shoe holder, like the stair tucked under and there was a storage unit. And I would always jump over that stair because I thought a hand was going to come out and grab me. (laughs) Like I couldn't do it. So I don't know, Zach, did you ever have any fears that now you're like, "Mm." like that was like, maybe yes, no. (laughs) Honestly, I can't really think of any that, like, I would really, like, have that were very, like, like, really. Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't remember you having a lot of nightmares or anything. You would sleepwalk a lot, and that, that would freak us out as adults. Yeah, I remember, like, <laughs> like I vividly remember sleepwalking a lot, too, and I would just, like, wake up in random places, and I was like, okay. Because, like, yeah. like, I remembered it, but, like, I was sleeping, so I was like... Yeah, no, legit. You would come out and have a full-blown conversation, and I would think that you were awake, and then you'd go back to bed, and then you were actually asleep the whole time. I was like, wait, what? Like, you had no recollection of the next Like, day. I remember one time my dad, like, woke me up, and I was sitting in the garage with, like, my dad's computer, like, in pitch black dark as if I was, like, playing on it. And I was, like, sitting yeah. in his chair, like, in the darkness, just, like, moving the mouse and, like, just being, like, yeah. and that was, like. You were the- just, like, hacking as a kid. Right, like playing something in your dream. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mike says that the Exorcist movie still freaks me out to this day. So you know what? Kind of opposite of what you said, Zach. It's not so much of fears that I feel like I've gotten over as a kid. I feel like as an adult, I'm more uncomfortable with some stuff than I was when I was younger. So like I used to be able to watch any type of horror. I could watch slasher horror, punk horror, all types of horror. You know. Um, but now like demon stuff, like exorcism, that makes me uncomfortable. Like, I don't want to invite that into my house. So I'll watch slasher movies and alien movies and all that stuff. But exorcist movies, like it makes me, it makes me a little uncomfortable. So I don't know if like, as I'm getting older, I'm like, mm, I'm scared of this now. <laughs> Maybe because I'm closer to death than I was in my twenties. <laughs> but I'm like, I don't know. I feel like um, I recently watched a horror movie in theaters for one of the first times, and it was like the rated R movie Smile, which wasn't even that scary. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But like for me, that was my very first like rated R movie in a theater. And I don't know why, but that like traumatized me. Like I literally remember leaving that theater. And I mean, granted, we watched it at like 11 at night. But like I remember leaving that theater at like like one or something and just like walking to my car with my friend in like terror of like everything around us. And like I just and that was only like four months ago. Like yeah, watching a horror movie in the in a theater late at night. That's always the scariest time to watch a horror movie. Like whatever, mm-hmm. whatever movie that is. Cause I did this, I did a similar thing with a uh, paranormal activity. I think it was like, we went to, it was like midnight when it started somewhere around there. And there was like, 
I went a group of four of us and I think there was maybe like two other people in the theater. By the time it let out, it was like 2 a.m. And we were walking through an abandoned mall to an abandoned parking lot. Oh, gosh. Yeah. My roommate and I went home and watched Peter Pan because neither one of us could go to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) That was like I was watching something and it, it creeped me out. I think it was some like demonic movie or something. And so I was like, I need something to lighten the air and make me feel better. So I put on 48 hours or the first 48. <laughs> so when you have to put on a real life true crime to like, like make you feel better. I need to watch something about somebody that actually died. <laughs> I, I, need, I need something that just makes me feel a little better right now. <laughs> no, I feel like even in horror movies, though, it's like I just get so immersed that like even when the characters die, I like feel so horrible. And then it's like the movie ends and I still feel bad. And I'm like, it was they're they're still alive. Like the actors are yeah. still like it's uh it's when they kill the dogs and the cats. That's what gets me. Yeah. And that's what I was gonna say. Stephen King is notorious for killing a dog horrifically. Like every dog that dies in almost every single one of his books is a horrific death. However, no dog died in it that I remember. Um, I, not, I cannot recall. Not in the movies. Um, the they books did shoot a cat in the second one, but they got interrupted. Yeah. Or not in the second one, but in the newer one. I honestly don't remember about the book. I blocked it out of my mind. I think in the books, like the... Oh, no, no, no. That was another movie. That was 8mm. Not 8mm. It was one of those. Um, But I I thought maybe like the dogs in the neighborhood disappeared, but that's a movie. A a different movie. Um, But yeah, I don't think that any animals died in it. Which is rare for Stephen King. I feel like probably there might be one somewhere in that thousand and something pages, but it's Maybe. not its not one that sticks out because of everything else that's going on. No, the one that sticks out for me is poor Ryder in um, Needful Things, that little dog. I cannot, every time I listen to the, the audio book or read the book, I have to like skip through those pages. So I won't talk about how he dies because I don't want to torment people. <laughs> Yeah, let's not talk about dogs dying. Look at Londa. I appreciate Dean Coons for the love right? of dogs. Dean yes. Coons, like, Dean Coons wrote, like, multiple books about how amazing dogs are. Exactly. <laughs> Dean Coons doesn't kill dogs. No, Dean Coons loves dogs, and we love Dean Coons for that. Stephen yes. King, you know what? You can you're, look, Sometimes you're overrated. Dean Coons. <laughs> you're an amazing writer, but take that take that hint from Dean Coons. Don't kill exactly. the Exactly. Oh my goodness. You don't have to kill the dog to move the story. <laughs> Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Just kill a human being. Everyone doesn't mind that. Yeah, nobody cares about the humans. Nobody kill cares about that. <laughs> they die every time. I know. I have a dog in one of my books, and I'm like, don't he kill will it. live. Yep, he will not die. Because like, I don't think I'm an author. So mad at you. <laughs> yeah, I can't do that. I was like, just despite Stephen King, all dogs will live on my books. <laughs> They're immortal from the disease. They much. are. Like, it makes me wonder if, like, a dog bit him as a kid or something. I know. Like, what's going on with him? Because I'm like, I could never, I could never do that. I could never write a horrible death to a dog. And I'm like. Well, like, think of the CGI people who have to, like, animate that. Like, that's when it's true. Human, not that bad. But, like, if you had to animate a dog being, like, like. Yeah. 
like a I horrific death. Yeah. Talking about a bad day in the office. Yeah, I'm really sorry. <laughs> I got yelled at by a Karen. Well, I had to kill a dog and visualize it <laughs> like, for millions of people. Right? <laughs> I know. Landa's like, I couldn't do it. I had to I had to make them this horrible. I think like a lot of movies, they allude to what happens without actually showing it. Mm-hmm. I remember, I cannot tell you what the name of this movie was. And it was like I was younger and I was flipping through channels, came across this movie. And it was, I think it was like people in a couple and he had like a baby seal or something (gasps) that he was like, I got you this seal and she didn't want it because she's like, what am I supposed to do with a seal? So he beat it to death. Gosh. I, I can't tell you anything about that. I quickly changed the channel. I can't tell you any information about that movie other than that. Um, (laughs) That scarred me for life, that, like, 30 seconds I watched of whatever movie that was. Like, why would you even want to write that into the plot of, like, your book or movie? Like, oh, yeah, sorry, just be a seal to death because I didn't want it. Thanks. Moving on. Like... I mean, yeah, like, you can't show that the guy's psychotic some other way. (laughs) Yeah, like, couldn't have been, like, cutting someone off in traffic and then, like, smashing them or something? Yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, road rage. We're all used to that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> anyway, that was kind of a, a tangent to get back to it. Um but I mean I guess thing, yeah. One thing that I thought was interesting, um, differences between all three was the ritual of Chud, Chud. I don't know exactly how oh. you say it. But it's different. It's different in the book, it's different in both movies. They changed it for all of them. So like in the book, which you can tell this is the time frame that Stephen King was doing a lot of drugs. Because in the book, you're mythically having, oh, I said it right. Yeah. You're like <laughs> supposed to basically mythically stick your tongue out, intertwine and bite each other's tongues and tell jokes. And the first one to laugh loses. Like that's how it's described as that's what the ritual of Chud is supposed to be. And that's not exactly how they kill it it the ritual pretty much fails like it does in the movies um but it's just like like what like only a mind on drugs could come up with that i feel like Like, i have blocked that whole thing out i do not recall that in any yeah (laughs) I i was trying to find exactly the pages where it described it and I couldn't but I did find an article that did discuss it um but apparently that also comes back in a newer one of his books that I haven't read called um later yeah it's called later um it's one of his newer books I haven't read it and apparently that comes back somewhat in there and he's not on drugs anymore so I don't know why he brought it back but maybe it's better now um okay and then in the in the 1990 version it was the whole uh it was like the children believed that the silver would hurt him and so that became the ritual of Chud and then um, you know they like did they hit him in the head his head exploded he wasn't dead 
Um, so they don't really talk, but they never really talk about the ritual in the in the 1990 miniseries. They just kind of do it. And they're just like, oh, well, if we do this and if we believe that this is going to work, then it'll kill him. But they never really discuss the ritual. And then um, obviously in the newer one, it's like this Native American ritual with their like little talismans that they each have to collect and burn. And oh, yeah, the Native Americans had tried it like thousands of years ago and it had failed. But Mike was like, no, we can, we believe so it can work. And then they have to like end up shrinking him down. So I just thought like, I just thought it was really interesting how each iteration of it, like they did their own thing with it. Everybody's like, well, we're just going to do our own thing with this ritual. Right. Well, I I mean, think about cancel culture and the audience nowadays compared to back then. I don't think they could do a film of kids locking tongues and biting each other's tongues. And well, they would be biting its <laughs> tongue, not each other's tongues. Okay, so an older <laughs> adult, <laughs> but it was all metaphysical. It was all like it was metaphysical, and then okay. the turtle, the turtle of the world, was floating around. And yeah, how would you like, visually portray trip, that? Oh my god! Okay, I looked it up. The ritual chud was a battle of wills and the only way to defeat it. Uh-huh. Uh, so Bill found the information about the ritual when he um, was reading in the library. Yep. It's also kind of known as a glamour type thing. So I'm yeah. like, I can kind of see that. Uh, the goal was to bite uh, each other's tongues and tell riddles until one laughed despite the pain. Uh, the person who laughed first gets sent away for 100 years. Yeah, a little dramatic. Uh, let's see. Oh, while if the man laughs first, the Talius gets to eat the man's soul. Yep. Okay. But it was like, it definitely wasn't something that was like physically happening. It was, it was like, um, it was metaphysical. Like, so they describe it in the book and like Bill's just kind of basically standing there like dead eyes. But, and he, so like all this is happening in like. like astral projection or something metaphysical yeah i was just yeah. I, I wanted to not use metaphysical too many times but no i, I got you another word I, i'm gonna <laughs> go with this and then i'm going to landa's comment because i know that's going to lead to another topic that landa i know crystal and i we wanted to bring up yeah um okay so apparently bill was the first kid to engage it mm-hmm. in this duel of chud right as an adult he was also the first to engage it mm-hmm. however without his childlike imagination he's weaker in the battle and it taunts him uh saying something that the turtle did some years ago part of the book uh and article i did <laughs> i probably did on um stephen king.fandom.com mm-hmm. yep <laughs> yeah totally so if anybody's interested that's where it is <laughs> yeah but richie will uh, realizes that something's wrong and screams out in his irish cop voice <laughs> catching its tongue and being thrown into the universal sprawl with bill wow oh and then he saves bill from the dead deadlights yep okay uh but this goes into londa's comment that i'll post on here uh zach you didn't read the books right or the nope. book okay in the book was something that I, I think I told you about when we started watching the first movie on how like the the kids dealt with defeating it 
and how they got what yeah and i don't even know how this helped them deal with it uh londa goes the girl sleeping with all the boys would not have been accepted either so i have (laughs) i have thoughts about that and my no like i feel like a lot of us do but here's my thing because i know that my thoughts about it are not the everybody's thoughts about it so Mm -hmm. the way and i know you said you're like i don't understand so they had to lose like they were stuck and they were lost in the sewers and they had to like lose their innocence that's the only way they could find their way out and Mm -hmm. that was beverly's solution that she came up with and is it disturbing and unnecessary yes however it is consensual it is oddly oddly like connecting for them and could have been done in a different way but what bothers me is that that bothers people more than the actual sexual assault that happens in the book when patrick hockstetter sexually assaults henry bowers nobody cares about that that was much more detailed that went into way more explicit detail and it was assault but a consensual act, even though it's children, I'm sorry, but there are 12 year olds out there having sex. We know that. Yeah. Like it's a fact of life. It shouldn't be happening, but it is a fact of life. Um, to me, the assault is way more upsetting than the weird, gross, and still disturbing consensual act. Because, yeah, that's really not something that should have been done. It's weird. What I remembered most, I was 12 when I first read the book, and that probably has something to do with it too. Plus, um, not going into detail, but at that time, I had been sexually abused as well. So that probably has something to do with how I see it as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, the assault is much more traumatizing to me as a 12-year-old reading this that had been through abuse than oh, here's this thing that they're doing that isn't nearly as detailed. The thing I remembered the most was that Beverly kept seeing birds. Oh, yeah. That was weird. She just um, visualizing birds. Real quick. I'm, I don't mean to interrupt you. No, you're Zach, fine. <laughs> Zach has to go real quick. Uh, his, his parents are heading out somewhere, so Zach's got to exit uh-huh. real quick. We'll jump right back into it. But, Zach, uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you yes, for being I, on. I had so much fun. Yeah. Uh, did you want to announce any projects you're working on or did you want to uh, maybe promote your book a little bit or talk about where people can find it? Um. So, yeah. So if you guys are interested, I have my book out right now. It's on Amazon. It's called Becoming a Master Manifester. And it's pretty much about like manifesting the life of your dreams and like going into all these new, very like metaphysical topics that haven't really been brought up too much before, before this like day and age, I feel like, because it's very like got very popular like recently um and so yeah and so you guys can check that out it's on extremely like discounted sale right now um because i just want people to be able to read it i don't want like money to get in the way at the moment um and so yeah and so that's on amazon and yeah that's pretty much it for that awesome well thank you for joining us zach uh but we understand family stuff Thanks for us. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for <laughs> Probably having. a good topic for you to exit on to. I know. I'm like, maybe you should have left like five minutes ago. Yeah, I know. Sorry. <laughs> Poor Zach. 
All right. I'll see y'all guys later. All right, bye. 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 <laughs> Sorry. He was texting me. He's like, I don't know what to do. I got to go. They're telling me I got to go. <laughs> yeah. He could have just said that. It's fine. <laughs> I know. I know. He's super sweet, though. Um, yeah, you know, so- I also think that with – sorry, just to, like, jump in with what you are saying. Yeah. I feel like with Beverly, that's all she understood on how to help men through things, given uh-huh. her history with her father. Exactly. Because that that's all she understood was she's like, that's what she was for. Yeah. Yeah. So she's like, here's my friends who need help. Here's what I understand is what helps men. So mm-hmm. type thing. And that goes on into her – that goes on into her um, – um, adult life too with her her husband and stuff that's that's her background that's her and you know it's like you and people just see it and they're just like oh my gosh is these kids having sex and it's and it's multiple and it's and they're like and they're like it's an orgy and I'm like to me like when I think of an orgy that's not what I think of yeah you know like it wasn't like to me an orgy is like multiple things going on at once. That's not the situation. And I'm just like, I don't know. It's just obviously neither of those things could be shown on camera ever. Um, and we wouldn't want them to be. Mm-hmm. And, but it's just like, you know, I think what you said really says a lot about it. Like that's with Beverly's background, with her history, with her relationship with her father and him, um, I don't know if he ever sexually abused her straight up, but like it was kind of implied in some places and definitely he was always like, you're, you need to be my little girl. And there was definitely just like mm-hmm. sexual undertones to all that. So that mm-hmm. is, that's what she understood. And she's just like, we need to, we need to come together. We need to like, that's the only way we're going to be able to get back out of here. We're losing it. And I do think it was like, like I said too, like part of losing your innocence or whatever. And I'm just like, does it make me, I, re- I reread it the other day. I'm like, does it make me uncomfortable reading it as an adult? Yes. But even as an adult, Patrick Hockstetter, uh, like a sexually assaulting another kid and is way more disturbing. And that also goes way, goes into more detail. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I'm, so I just don't understand why there's so much pe- so much about people being upset about this scene and nobody being upset about the other scene. I've never heard anybody be upset about the Patrick Hockstetter scene. I don't know. Nobody brings that one up. Unless they just didn't have the channels at the time. The cha- Oh, what do you mean? Oh, oh, sorry. Um, I'm like, the channels? I'm, I'm not completely sure I understand what you're saying. Uh, like the outlets? Unless I'm thinking of someone else. Maybe. Well, I don't know. It's just like, because people always talk about, you know, like, every time I see, like, a discussion board about it, everybody always brings up the scene with Beverly and the losers. Mm -hmm. And I never, and they're like, that scene is like, blah, blah, blah. Nobody ever brings up the sexual assault that actually happens. Like, hold on. I have them yeah, both. so uh, the scene with Patrick Hofstadter, you're talking about where he kills the kid, right? No, I'm talking oh. about the sexual assault. Oh, wait, 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 hold on. It's, oh. Hold on. It is okay, on page okay. 832 of the book. 
He and Henry and Beverly, although they don't know Beverly is there, are mm. in the junkyard. I forgot about that. Okay. Yeah. That's oh. why. And Reddit won't even let me view it right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not going to read it because. <laughs> no, no, no. You're totally. Like <laughs> I'm not going to read it out loud. Like I said, it's graphic. Mm-hmm. Um, but if anybody wants to read it, it's on 832 of the book. And then we have the Beverly scene is 200 pages later. About okay. 1,098. So about 200 pages. So it's only like 200 pages apart in a 1,000 plus page book. Is They're pretty close together. They happen fairly close together in the timeline of events. Yeah. So, and I'm like... You know, like I don't know. I'm trying to re. I I can't remember that scene. I I remember it happening, but I can't remember how it's described. So I don't know if they described it, or if Stephen described it more in detail. Did he describe yeah. it in as much detail? Mm-hmm. He huh. described it in my. He described it in more detail than he described, like because with the scene with Beverly and the losers, mm-hmm. it's. There is some detail, but there's really not much detail. It's more about how everybody's reacting, how everybody's feeling, right. Beverly envisioning the the birds. Um, it does describe her having an orgasm, which is a little uh, well. <laughs> but that's a that's a bodily function. That's not necessarily yeah a. a manual reaction no yeah you know it's a it's a bodily function that happens whether you want it to or not sometimes yeah so like it does so it does go into some detail but that scene really does more talk about the the emotional connection with beverly and the losers it talks Mm -hmm. it does talk about some sensations um like this hurt that but it doesn't go into like graphic detail and the scene between patrick and henry in the in the dump goes into graphic detail Hmm. about patrick was doing this to himself and doing this to henry and this is what this looked like yeah because beverly is like i said they don't know she's there and she's witnessing it so it goes into graphic detail about what she's seeing while she's watching it. And it's straight up assault. So yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, to me, that's see. the more disturbing scene. Londa says, I can't remember it, but my daughter who read it more recent than me was very, yeah. Which actually exactly. kind of looking up the thing just made me realize that, yes, Stephen King did torture a dog in this book. Because oh, I think the, it's in that same scene, maybe. Yeah, in the junkyard. About it in the same scene. Yeah, the, he puts the puppy in the in the refrigerator. Or he I, talks about putting a puppy in a refrigerator. Yeah, no, he does. Like in the that's okay. what what um, Patrick does. Okay, you're right, yeah. and I I guess I'm more disturbed by the assault, so that's what I remember more about that scene. But you're right, he does put a dog in a refrigerator. Yeah, with Olivia, she goes, yikes. 
<laughs> exactly. So we yeah. won't go into more detail on that. So that seems just disturbing in multiple ways. Thank you. Christine and I have already decided we're not going to talk about the animal abuse. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, yeah, LOL. <laughs> no, yeah. So I guess like to me, it's just like the fact that people are more upset about a consensual act than assault is what bothers me. But, you know, I think that's more of a, that would be interesting to find out if we had like, you know, someone who's a doctor in psychology, that would be great to understand because even like myself, I did not remember that. I yeah. remembered Beverly. I didn't remember Patrick and Henry. So I wonder what the psychology is behind that on why I would remember one and not the other. Maybe because as a girl, I related to Beverly. I don't know. You know, with, with like your history and my history, like we both understand that. Um, yeah. but I don't know. I don't, I yeah, Wanda. Yeah, I thought too. I straight up had that thought, Wanda. I'm like, it's the whole, I'm like, it's the patriarchy. Yes, <laughs> like people focus on the women versus the men in terms of situations like that because it is a female taking control of her sexuality without shame. Mm -hmm. and just be like this is what we're going to do and just and the patriarchy hates that yeah i don't know they that's hate crazy it. they can't stand it man well, now we're be thinking of patrick and henry while still being disturbing at the same time yeah. <laughs> i was like this is gonna be a good episode this would be so good and now i'm like oh god stephen king kills the dog and i'm like oh, and patrick and henry this is horrible now <laughs> I mean, no, it's such a, like, it's such a good book. It's such a good story. And there are some things that are disturbing, but that's, I mean, that's part of Stephen, Stephen King's whole thing. It's going to disturb you. Well, and you think of it, that's part of unease, you know, mm -hmm. that he likes to have in his book. His books aren't necessarily all horror. It's no. all about the uneasiness of the situation that you're in. Exactly. So if he can make something very uneasy and uncomfortable for you, then he's done his job. Yeah. And that can come in many forms. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. And it is. It's definitely, you know, it definitely does make you feel uneasy. Mm -hmm. But, like, I just think, like, there's more to look at in that scene with Beverly than just the physical act of what's going on. There's so much more to it than mm -hmm. just that physical act. And like I said, part of it just might be like my life and what happened to me and things I've gone through that at 12 years old reading that. Yeah. It barely affected me. But yeah. the Patrick scene at 12 years old definitely affected me. Yeah. I don't know. That, that would be interesting to delve into the psychology behind that. Mm -hmm. I just don't think either one of us are equipped to do that. I'm not a psychologist. I took one yeah. psychology class in college and the professor hated psychology so i don't know what? why he did it he spent the whole like semester telling us basically telling us why how psychology was just the popular thing to study and psychology isn't what you think it is and i'm like okay but yeah I, really like, thanks i'm taking this class and i would i'd like to learn something like <laughs> yeah so yeah 
Look at Mike. He goes, I wonder how many kids used to love clown or love clowns until they saw it movie and then became terrified of clowns for the rest of their lives. I think a lot. Yeah, I think a lot of people definitely. Um, in fact, e reading or uh, watching that documentary, Crystal, that you recommended earlier, they said that they were like, "Yeah, I would not go take photos by the Ronald McDonald clown because I was so terrified of clowns after that." Yeah, <laughs> like a lot. It was like when they made the high school football coach teach. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty much my psychology <laughs> professor. <laughs> exactly. Like I don't remember anything about psychology. I think the only thing I remember from that class is we did talk about Pavlov's dog. Yeah, well, there you go. Now, kind of riding on the Becky topic, but just Becky. That's the only relation I have. Here's something I noticed when I was watching the, the original nineties miniseries with, with Zachary uh, last Saturday. Okay. Young Bev Marsh. It was driving me nuts because I recognized the actress and I'm like, I know where, where? You yes. I'm like, where <laughs> do I know this is driving me insane. And it was, it was driving, but I like, I pride myself on trying to figure out how I know these people and mm -hmm. I don't want to look it up. And so I didn't look it up and I started watching the documentary crystal that you were talking about, the <laughs> it, the clown. And so I, I start, yeah, which she showed up as an adult. Okay. So the actress name is Emily Perkins who played Bev at um, age 12. Mm -hmm. And for those of you who watch our show and know that crystal and I are avid supernatural fans, <laughs> <laughs> she plays Becky is supernatural. She plays she plays that part so well too. So well. <laughs> and Becky is completely opposite of Bev Marsh. One hundred percent. Becky is so adorable. Opposite. Yes, we love Becky. I mean, Becky put a curse on Sam to make him believe that he was married to her, and I think we all feel that. <laughs> I mean, I in a I way, in a way over sam but you know yeah, not necessarily sam but like we understand that fascination and we're like you know what becky kudos i'm like <laughs> i have i can't be mad at becky for that nope nope so that was driving me nuts and i figured out right before we start this podcast i'm like oh my god it's becky yep <laughs> i was so excited i mean so and then like seth green is yep seth kids. green um, he played Richie. And then, of course, Jonathan Brandis um, as yes. well. Uh, and Jonathan Brandis, it was so rough because I had, like, I love Jonathan Brandis. I had, like, same. Team Beat magazine posters of him. And, yeah, to find out, like, just to see his his co-star's reactions to finding out about his suicide was was oh really gosh. Yeah. was really rough to rewatch like on this documentary because it just brought mm -hmm. back a lot of those feelings and emotions from my little Tiger Beat days, Bethany, you know? <laughs> Tiger Beat magazine. Oh my, yeah. god. oh my god, I love Tiger Beat magazine. <laughs> I like Tiger Beat and Bop magazine, I think, wallpapered my walls. Yes, because they were the ones who had the full-blown wallpaper. They didn't have the articles that cut into them. Yeah, they had like the full posters. Yeah. yeah. Are y'all loving indies? appearance all of a sudden he needs to love i know like, i almost talking made about it. animal abuse <laughs> seriously i, I almost made her a full me. podcast without him you're not going to pull a stephen king on me <laughs> i know i know he's like i'm not an inspiration am i <laughs> it's okay i saw olive on your bed earlier <laughs> little cutie oh yeah she's still there there's oh there she, she is there's olive i'm like can you see oh there's her face if i lean the other way yes <laughs> 
Well, coming up, uh, we're coming up past an hour, actually. I'm like, Um, well, I mean, it's a thick book. It is a thick book. Long movies. So four-hour miniseries, not even a book. Which have you noticed that with Stephen King? A lot of his stuff, like his original stuff, was made for TV. Like um it. You had um The Stand. The Stand. That's what I was thinking of. That was a good one. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is definitely um, more of a made-for-TV with how many subplots and stories were in there. Yeah. Um, I think Salem's Lot might have been made for TV. And, oh, here's Needful an things. unpopular... Yeah. Needful things. Mm-hmm. Um, this is going to be an unpopular opinion, but the made-for-TV The Shining was way better than Jack Nicholson, The Shining. Uh, yes. Yeah, and Stephen King will agree with you on that. Uh, he did not fact. like Jack Nicholson. <laughs> Look... <laughs> It was weird and fun tonight. Oh, thanks, Mike. <laughs> like, we don't think about just weird topics tonight. <laughs> we went through a whole range of emotions. Yeah. <laughs> with everything. Well, uh, our next episode of Blonde's Books and Campfire Tales, it's up in the air. Um, I'm sure, Crystal, you were following along on the weird messaging, so we may or may not have a very special guest on our, mm-hmm. our next one. We're, we're going to try and set something up with someone who has a few projects out on amazon uh but we don't know if it's going to happen or not so oh there's an indian he just lost his collar um so hopefully that will happen it will be super awesome if it does if not crystal and i will still bring you a wonderful weird and fun episode (laughs) Um, if not what i think people need to tell us what their favorite um campfire tales are it's summertime it's camping season exactly what's your favorite tale to tell around the campfire maybe we can talk about it next we could also do an episode that has like everyone's favorite tales yeah like like if mike if you want to suggest something or londa if you want to or or olivia or anyone like if you guys want to suggest something then let us know and we'll bring it up in a topic uh urban legends campfire tales ghost just horror Huh? whatever we'll talk about whatever you want pretty much i mean we just <laughs> we just like to talk <laughs> not us <laughs> i told hadley i was like oh my gosh it's so weird that like crystal and i used to get in trouble for talking too much and now people want us to see a talk too much to- <laughs> yeah <laughs> like the amount of times we've been told to shut up in a collective oh way. my gosh <laughs> we're like this is our talent okay <laughs> exactly well thanks for joining us tonight thank you londa right there um and mike (laughs) uh we're glad to have zachary on here definitely go check out his book he is you know he is such an intelligent individual i am just i'm so proud to call him my family and the fact i was not like that at 17 no we were no neither one of us was Was uh so the accomplishment (laughs) that zachary has had definitely go check out his book (laughs) Uh, becoming a master manifester on Amazon is available. And yeah, uh, hopefully our next episode will have a special guest. Um, we'll see. But if not, then definitely put in the comments or message us. Let us know what you guys want to talk about. Uh, Wanda. Wanda, you feel me. I think you and I, we get each other. <laughs> Crystal, do you have anything coming up on um, Mysteries, Mayhem, and Murder or any of those? Um, I think our next episode is not this upcoming weekend, but the next one. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at a calendar. Sorry. No, you're good. 
Yeah, so Murders, Mystery, and Mayhem, our next episode is going to be, yeah, um, either the 15th or the 16th. I will put a confirmed date out there, um, and we will be talking about the Black Dahlia, um, everybody's favorite unsolved Hollywood murder. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, that's coming up. Um, yeah. So yep. definitely join us for that. And yeah, like I said, I'll put a confirmed date and time out there. That one's kind of a floating show. Um, so that that one's a little bit, I try to let everybody know ahead of time, but um, that one kind of depends on what my schedule looks like each month. <laughs> so. <laughs> no, you're good. It is a really good episode. I know uh, Sylvester might be interested on hopping on some of that. So you can reach out to him. He's very interested in a lot of the um, true crime stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So he'll be into it. Livia goes, thanks, ladies. Great idea about campfire inspired spooky stories. <laughs> Livia, let us know what your favorite is so we can talk exactly. about it. Mike goes, I hope everyone has a spectacular week. Yes. Fourth of July week next week. So I hope yes. everyone has a great fourth of July. Uh, coming from the writer's front, um, we did just in submissions for the Weird Kids uh, new anthology coming up for Writers of the Apocalypse. So we are looking forward to uh, narrowing those down and coming out with the with the book. I know Rich is working on that and we'll come out with the actual anthology for that. So coming soon from the Weird Kids, a nice anthology on Writers of the Apocalypse. And uh, yeah, everybody have a safe 4th of July and keep the fireworks mm-hmm. away from the dogs. Yes, yes. And cats. I mean, cats are afraid of fireworks. I mean, my cat ignores them. She ignores everything. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you for joining us for Blondes, Books, and Campfire Tales. We will see you in two weeks with our next episode. We look forward to seeing you there. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>